the genuinely interested podcast. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate uh, your time today. Of course. Happy to be here and looking forward to chatting. I'm glad we could get it done. Uh, your name, I have to ask, because when I first saw it, I thought you were Israeli. Yeah. So my, my, my wife thought the same thing. She and she is uh, <laughs> she yeah, she speaks Hebrew and Aramaic and then and, and the whole nine. But no, it's okay. just uh, it's um, it, it was it was adapted from uh, from my grandfather's name, who is who is Hungarian. And yeah, it's it's just a uh, it is, it's not Israeli, but I do get that a lot. You do, yeah. I would imagine because it's just it's it's like a typical Israel. It's not even like just yeah. something like every Israeli. Like as soon as they see it, I'm like, oh, that guy has to be from Israel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it's good. It's, it's set me up for some really interesting conversations. So I'll take it. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, dude, you're a machine. Uh, I obviously we follow each other on 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 Twitter. Maybe on Instagram, I'm not sure, but the amount of content you put out, and I don't know if this is something that you do, you know, where uh, you record everything on a Sunday or whatever, right? And then you just have content and you just put it out or you do every day X amount of hours, but you're just a content machine. And then, and, and we'll get into everything, but like on top of that, like you do a whole host of shit. So how do you yeah. find the time? Well, I think uh, uh, so. someone told me once, it was like, if you want something done, get a busy person to do it. Okay. And, uh, and they're not wrong because uh, I do feel like now I've gotten to that stage in my life. And it's only been like this the last few years where there's just so much happening that if I don't sit down and just breeze through the list at all times, then it's just going to fall apart. Uh, and so that's been good. But uh, no, I'm just, I'm just very organized, especially with the content. I don't spend a ton of time on content. I try to spend an hour a day. It usually kind of sneaks up to two. But really, it's about, um, you know, like repeatable formulas, right? Like my videos are all the same. They're in front of a, a green screen. I'll put a couple bullet points together. I'll get a couple images. As ideas come, I just fill out like a constant Evernote of them. And then I just, you know, I, I just keep it going. And luckily I have an interesting enough life, you know, when you're, especially when you're working with so many clients and projects, there's always these ideas and things that come up. And I just make sure literally everything I think of, even if, it, if it's dumb, I try to put it in a list and, and get, get some content out of it. Yeah, well, that's the difficult part. It's not necessarily the, the creation. It's coming up with all those ideas. Like if you've yeah. ever tried anything creative, doesn't matter if it's a YouTube channel, podcast, it takes time like to put stuff out. And again, like even if it's sometimes it's not the best stuff, it still takes time to come up with those ideas, create some sort of assessment of what it is, uh, value prop, whatever it is that you're trying to do. All those things take time. So it's not only the actual like uh, taping it or videoing it, whatever. It's the stuff that comes before. It's the stuff that comes after, which can be a little bit time consuming. Yeah, I completely agree. And and it's, you know, and it's funny. Uh... Yeah, I just keep a massive list, right? Because you never know what an idea is going to turn into. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like not everything has to be a perfectly formed idea. A lot of my content that's successful is about a concept. It'll be like, hey, this trend is changing in design, or this is a thing that you know is different now than it was five years ago. You should really be thinking about. But that will start with like a bad idea. That will start with me being like, oh, let me put this logo design in this file I like, or let me say, hey, this brand is doing this weird thing. And then after enough, you know, marinating, it can turn into something. Yeah. So for listeners who may not know you, can you just give us maybe a little bit of a background and, and kind of what you do break down and what you do discuss and the type of content that you put up? And yeah, just give us a good idea of, you know, who yeah. Oren is. Let's do it. So yeah, I'm all Oren right. at Oren Meets World on all, on all social media. And uh, look, I was a, um, 
I was a, a corporate and like tech executive for a long time. I did. Uh, I was a creative director at a um, at an agency that did you know big brands like Grey Goose and um, you know Red Bull and Ciroc and things like that early in my career. And then I was director of marketing, VP of marketing, and various tech startups. I uh, transitioned that into owning my own tech agency. So I own a forty three person agency with two other uh, guys in Austin, Texas, that does contract engineering. And then uh, last few years, I had done a, a public company roll up um, with another another friend of mine in a in a com- kind of completely different space. And I was, I was the president of that. And we took it on to OTCQX. Is that Colin? Uh, uh, yeah, no, that was uh, so I, I did it with Colin, but uh, Dallas, um, uh, a friend of mine, was the guy who actually orchestrated the roll up and was kind of kind of ran the ran the show. And then yeah, Colin uh, Landforce was the the CTO of that business and one of the businesses that got rolled up. And uh, we worked on that together as well. And then, uh, yeah, and then over these last, I haven't, I've been out of that for about a year. And then over this last year, I've really just embraced being a, uh, like a manic entrepreneur, right? So I have my hands in all these different businesses. I'm an owner in a few, I have a few high profile clients. Um, I've got like a, like a brand community um, with, with another partner. And then I'm just advising a bunch of startups, investing in a bunch of startups and really just leaning into this idea that, you know, I want to work on a lot of things at once. Uh, I want to make the biggest impact I can. And, and my impact right now is usually on the like product roadmap, product sourcing, and then kind of modern brand strategy. How do you use modern social media? How do you build modern community? And, and I feel like I can have a lot of impact w- with that, with brands of all different kinds. And I'm just really leaning into it and then documenting it all on social media. And that's been wonderful as well. and Opened a lot of doors. So are, are you still part of Rival Brands? Uh, I'm not. So I've been out there since about March of last year. Okay. Yeah. And then what's Hyper? I saw that you were you tweeted something about Hyper the other day. <laughs> yeah, and so we are. Uh, my my friend Clayton and I are launching a uh, like a community because I'm maxed out on just normal projects. You know, okay. things that like I am either like you know a, a founder of or I'm advising to. But we still just have so many people hitting us up, and we didn't quite want to do an agency. So we've launched like an online community called Hyper, which is a paid community for brands where they can get partial brand strategy and product sourcing support, you know, without basically having to get a full-time hire. And so we have a community in Geneva. We do like uh, multiple Zoom calls, like two to four of them a month, like workshopping brands, walking through trends, and then have just like a big archive of like vendors and all these things that like are really helpful for brands in that position. Uh, yeah, so we're actually literally just launching that here here this week and are, are excited about it because that's something where, you know, it's just again, how, how do you communicate with all the people? How do you help all these different folks? I don't feel like that modern agency model of like pay someone 15k a month or $7500 a month is is really applicable when you don't get that that right amount of time out of people and so I've been thinking a lot about a model for that and and hide that hyper community is the model that we're going with. And I mean you've been doing this for a while right you got kind of connections in China, connections in oh, yeah. Europe, connections all over so the framework is kind of done right the 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 groundwork. Yeah. Well, and it's also a lot of like, we're doing, I'm doing so much of it on a day to day that, you know, there's so many new projects coming in. There's so many vendors that are there and it's like, all right, like that's used for one project for one thing and then moved on. And it's like, but all those resources are super useful and, and people aren't going to find those themselves. And so, uh, being able to kind of take all that knowledge and those things and repackage it to, you know, to smaller entrepreneurs, I feel like is a, is a really interesting concept. And the thing is like, and I see this a lot with with also I I love the breakdowns you do by the way because I I like product as well I used to be in in CPG for a while, yep. but it's interesting because I think there's a notion or maybe there's less of that now where you have to kind of reinvent the wheel right oh we're revolutionizing this industry X Y Z where it's really now it's kind of just about taking something that exists tweaking it repackaging it doing something you know slapping a different label. And that's kind of it. And that's not to say like, not to like minimize that in any way, shape no. or form, but like, that's 
where you can find success. You don't have to sit for 10 years and have some eureka moment where, oh my God, I'm going to make this thing that's never existed before. Like if you want to get into business, if you want to get into some sort of a industry, just kind of look at what's happening and try to think, how can I do it a little bit differently, right? And that's a lot of what Completely. you put out. Oh yeah, because well, it's funny. I uh, People are, are caught in that concept that you thought. They're like, I have to have some amazing giant thing I need to put together. And uh, that and that has to be the business I launched. And it's like, well, if you look at it in context, think of all these massive companies that we all grew up with, these conglomerates that own every food corporation. They have they have 70 sub-brands. And all the retail that, you know, Sears is owned by these people that does this, that does that, there's these four other brands. And that's who you're competing with. And, these, and if you get 0.001% of market share by something slightly differentiated, you're like, hey, I made colors that didn't exist before, or I made it for left-handed people, or whatever that ends up being, or slightly <laughs> cheaper, or slightly better, or I marketed slightly different on TikTok. That's all you need to start a business that is big enough to be better than whatever your job is. And once people start to realize that, and you realize, oh, it's just these little incremental bits of alpha that help small businesses run, and it's not does that to be like an Uber moment, then I, I think uh, once that concept gets cracked, people's entrepreneurial journey really begins. Yeah, like liquid death is a, is a perfect example, right? Like you you kind of look at it at the supermarket. Like I remember first time I, I saw it, I was like, hmm, that's beer? It's not beer? What is it? And then I'm like, oh, it's simply water. And then I bought it. And I was like, it's not even like it's better water. It's the same water. Yeah, it's water with sugar. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? And then, But it's in a can. It's got a cool concept. It's got a cool idea. The branding's cool. And I remember my wife bought it and she was like, this is amazing. Like she loved it. She bought into it completely. And then I was like, ah, this thing's going to be a fad. And then now they're worth like, I don't know, a billion dollars or 700 million or something. So like, you don't have to do it. And then you see this with, I don't know, bone broth, like just different can, like everything is like, how do I take something that already exists? And again, just putting in a different packaging, doing something that has, I don't, it's not even that it hasn't been seen. It's just slightly different, slightly cooler, yep. slightly more uh, environmentally friendly. And those trends happen all the time. You can identify and see them. And, and so, yeah, I think I like to talk a lot about the concept of a, like a three-year brand versus a 10-year brand versus a lifetime right. brand, where it's like, you have a lot of opportunities to build a three-year brand where you can just see a trend or see a thing and be like, hey, I'm going to work these colors, et cetera. But I think it's important for people to realize that's a three-year brand and you should look at it that way. And you either want to sell it or get out of it then. You shouldn't be spending all that money as you come in because it's something cyclical. If your brand is entirely based on TikTok, it's probably not going to be a 10-year brand, right? And then a 10-year brand is something where you're building it to do something with it. You're building it to sell. You're building it to like have a... It's always going to take longer than you want. Everyone wants to build a brand and sell it in four years, five years. It doesn't work like that, in my opinion, at least. You want to do it right, it's a decade. And it's like, all right, can you have something that is sustainable enough across enough channels to last for that long? And then the last piece is, oh, do you just want a business for the rest of your life? And that's a very different proposition. You want different things. And I think I ask people to pick one of those because I feel like if you don't have that idea, at least of what you want to do, then you don't know where you're going. Are people still trying to build lifetime companies? I think they're trying to build lifestyle businesses, right? I think people do want something. There's a certain genre of entrepreneur who just says, I don't want a job. And I don't want to be worried about flipping this thing or that thing. I just want to have this for the rest of my life. And maybe a simplistic business. It might be a restaurant or it might be, or not that those are simple. Um, but I do not, think there are people that say, that, hey, I just want to check from something I own for the rest of my life, which is an interesting, because I didn't think of that. I had the same response you did when I first started really diving in with a lot of people um, where I was like, okay, well, do you really want that? But I think a lot of people do because they just want to have life on their own terms and they want to make 100 to 200K a year and maybe get up to 400, 500 and that's their life. And I think that's not the same goals as someone who wants to build a brand over 10 years that makes them millions of dollars, but it's an equal set of entrepreneurial steps to get there. Well, the internet has kind of made 
I don't know, democratized, but it has opened the floodgates for all these potential businesses to run, right? And you can do all these cool things now that you weren't be you weren't able to do 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, right? Like even, and I, I always look at this because you, I think people maybe from the outside or sometimes they don't see it, but everything is a business. And the guys from um, My First Million, Sam and, and Sean, they do this really well. We're like, they just see a business in everything. And like us yep. talking, can be a business, right? You can start a podcast, Dude. you can start a YouTube. Like everything that you see around you, from the shirts you wear to the food you eat to the content you consume, when you start to see everything as a business, you start to see so much potential in everything. Completely agree. And I think that uh, some people don't want to think that way. They don't want to like embrace the full capitalism. And I get it, but I, I've always been a math brain. It's funny now, I have a six-year-old son. He's the same way. Everything is math. Everything is money. And, and just certain people, if like, if you view the world like that, like lean into it, it's a superpower to be able to go look at, I wonder how they did that. And then, oh, I wonder how much they make off that. And well, is that a sustainable business? When you think like that, you know, the world starts to revolve around those same concepts. Yeah. Every time I go to like, uh, like a stand-up show or like a concert, I'm like, all right, I paid 210. There's like 1,500 <laughs> exactly. seats. Oh man, <laughs> we're, we're exactly the same. I don't know. And my wife is like, stop. <laughs> I'm like, no, no. Like, they like, can't possibly be making money. And I'm like, all right, so the guy's making X, the, the places, they, they're taking a 20% cut. You know, he's going away with this. He's got to pay for that. I do like- the the merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all about the, it's all about the merch. So talking about merch, you guys have some cool stuff, right? Like I remember I was yeah. seeing, uh, I haven't seen this in a while, but I remember maybe a year ago or something, I was seeing you guys have definitely some cool shit. Yeah. And so look, I, I do a lot in, in merch. It's actually, it's funny. The um, And so I, I do a lot in fashion, but also there's just a lot of corporate folks where- they can make a great product, but they, when it comes down to like making something that represents their brand, they're, they're terrible at it. So um, yeah, I, got, I work a lot at that. Um, and because it's really just like, what is the thing that, it's, at least to me, is like, what would delight your customer, right? And I use this, I have these in my little jar over here. I use this example. Like, I got a package from this brand called Carp Launch the other day, and they had a bunch of branded golf tees in them, which is just like, they know their customer. Like I bet 90% of their customers golf. Yeah. And it's like, it's the kind of thing, it's perfect for social media. And it's just like a little swag item. And I'm like, that's so much better than just like a random sticker or something of that nature. Like, and it's just little things like that that I feel like help differentiate companies to do something. And I've made a couple of videos about this, but I was like, I'd rather get, you know, something out of the box, like a tech deck or a mini bat or whatever, than like another koozie or like the same corporate yeah. shirt, et cetera. Um, and it's just all takes is thinking a little bit outside of the box. And then now with, with Alibaba, like you can find essentially anything at such a good price, as long as you're willing to wait for 60 days, you know? Mm -hmm. So for people who may not know, because I think our, our, my audience is, is there's a lot of entrepreneurs, but also people who may not have kind of dabbled their, their toes in the entrepreneurial pool yet. What is product development? Can you kind of elaborate a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And so product development is the idea that, hey, I'm going to sell something. I'm going to sell a physical thing or a soft piece of software or whatever. And like, what is the process to get to what you believe is going to sell in the market? Like what's going to resonate? What your your offer is? And so you basically define that and that's your uh, your market requirements document or your product requirements document or your brief. And you say, okay, this is the thing I want to create and why. And then there's the actual process of bringing that to life uh, to get to your, your singular product. And then there's how do you look at that in context? What's my actual roadmap if I'm going to sell 10 things? Most people don't just sell one. And when do I release them? And how do they interact with each other? And how's the packaging? What's the brand look like? And then how do we adapt that over time? And that's product development. And it is, uh, it is a beast. It is hard. And there's a lot of concepts floating around in there. But it's really interesting because you get to basically bring complete concepts to life and see how everything in the world around you is kind of made and, and financed. And uh, I find it really fascinating. I, I do too. I, I love, for me, like the, I, I love the whole aspect of it, but for me, like the excitement, the tingles that I get in the beginning when there's like a good idea 
you know, because yeah. I have ideas all the time. I have a long list of ideas and a lot of them are crap and some are good. Some are, you know, I'll probably never execute on, but there's a handful where I'm like, I just sit, I'm like, I have to do something with this. You know, this is just something that I feel is really good. Even before I validate it, I just personally feel like this is a good idea and this is something I can start. And those are like the ones I get super, super excited about. Totally agree. Yeah, look, no, look, that process is great. This is why a lot of why I make content is like, there's so many ideas that come up during the day or so many things where I was like, man, I wish I could do that. And I just can't because I'm already doing too many things. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, I want someone else to do it, right? Like you say, oh, let's look at this iPhone case. If you just did it in like in that fashion or what, yeah, what if someone put a system on chip inside of this material? And it's like that, that stuff is fascinating to me. And I want people to get that same bug because I feel like there's there's not quite that, that experience. Like you created this thing into the world and like mass produced it and like utilized all of these uh, this technology and thought process to get there. I think it's just really inspiring for someone to pull that off. So let's talk a little bit about that. How has the response been? Because like you said, you've been putting a ton of content, uh, mostly video, but a lot of written to uh, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram. I don't know, are you on Facebook and, and YouTube as well? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, uh, and like, and LinkedIn's a little bit minor, but yeah, it's really Twitter, TikTok, Instagram is, is probably the, uh, the major ones and, and email, yeah. Okay, and then how, and then you have a newsletter out as well. Yep. Which is, so, which is, which is awesome. How has the response been? And, how like how is it figuring that that puzzle of where to put where you know like yeah, what yeah. platform suits what content how do i figure that out do i just put everything everywhere like what's the thought, the thought process yeah and so look it's it's uh it's really interesting I, it was one of those things where um i i stuck with it you know i think the real thing most people don't do is is like when i tried tiktok i made 100 bad videos before i started making good videos and now i'm like decent at tiktok and have a, a pretty a pretty large following um, but like, if I was uh, afraid to make those first hundred bad videos, like it never would have gotten there. And luckily, like I've been through enough in my career, uh, that I don't have like, I don't have a lot of ego about if, if I'm putting stuff out there where I look, I look silly or stupid or for whatever reason, like I know I'll, I'll fiscally survive and it's going <laughs> to get me to a better point down the line. Um, but I think what I really wanted diving into this was, was finding a niche. I feel like that was the hardest thing is because I had looked at making content for a while and I made content about, you know, being an executive at, at Unrivaled and I'd made content prior about our, our engineering firm and really content around like the aerospace industry. And like, those weren't really the right niches. And so when I found kind of product development and I was like, Hey, this is the thing I really want to focus on. Uh, like that was a bit of a light bulb moment because you want something that not everyone's doing, right? If you're just another person making content about social media marketing, you're one of 10,000. It's hard to stand out. I liked product development because it's hard, right? No one's going to come in with no experience and try to make the content I make because you have to really be doing it every day. And I was like, all right, so that, that, that's a moat that means that I can establish my own identity. And then the rest of it was just figuring it out. Like, you know, I fired off thousands and thousands of tweets and found the ones that work. And then same thing on TikTok. And once I found out what I was doing well on TikTok, I brought it to Instagram and adjusted it. And like, and I think it's uh, it's continuing to, to fire it off. But what I see that a lot of people I feel mess up on um, is they'll find their format and just stick with it and they never change. But these algorithms are changing constantly. You know, TikTok's changing, Twitter's changing all the time. And if you don't try new things, you're you're going to basically get stagnant. And then people really freak out when they get stagnant um, because they build their whole life around this new social media presence or whatever it is. And uh, so I think adaptability has just been the biggest strong point. So I'm always thinking about what can I experiment with? Well, I, I, I've been seeing that on, on Instagram. Like I used to put reels and get thousands of views. And then you can literally see if you go on my Instagram, there's one video that got hundreds and then all the rest after it got hundreds. There was almost like a, 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 a change in the algorithm. Like one day, 
And yep. I haven't really looked or delved too much into it to see what I need to change because I'm, and I, I, you know, I don't take Instagram as serious as I should. But you could just see there's a difference where it changed from thousands, like five, ten thousand, whatever it is, to hundreds, and then I was never, and then all the rest of the videos that came after that, hundreds. Yep. Well, and it changes constantly. It does. And I wasn't taking Instagram seriously either. I was like, TikTok is the wave. Yeah, I'm growing on there. It's, it's, it's better in a number of ways. I wasn't seeing people growing. Even the brands I work with that are large on Instagram were just stagnant. And then I saw some woman on Twitter, this woman, Monica Grown, and she has like completely outside of my niche whatsoever. She has like a women's menstrual health you know, Instagram, yeah. but she got like 100,000 followers in a month. And wow. she was documenting it on Twitter. And I was just like, I'm looking at it. And again, completely different content than mine. I'm like, oh, I see what she's doing. And I see why I, I, I think that it's working. I was like, I should try and do that same thing. And I tried to do that same thing and then got 50,000 followers on Instagram in three weeks. And it was just like, oh, but if you're not paying attention to that or in those places where those things happen or willing to experiment, right, then it's not going to happen. And also admit you're wrong because I've been like blatantly like, I don't think Instagram is a growth channel for like six months. And then now I'm like, all right, well, that was wrong. Let me find another one, you know? <laughs> well, that's what that's exactly my, that's what I've been thinking. I was like, fuck Instagram. Like the Instagram's dead. YT or, you know, TikTok's the way, even though I, I don't have TikTok because but that's for a whole different reason why I don't have it. <laughs> but like, so back to the point we were originally made, like you took an, ex like instead of reinventing the wheel, you took an existing template from someone who's proved their method and just applied it to whatever it is you're doing. Put my own spin on it, exactly. I, and just to give some breakdowns in case people want to try what she tries. So she sure. did a 30 day challenge. So basically where she was like, I'm gonna post a video every day that resonates with my audience. And so hers was, she was basically posting a easy high protein meal for women. And she cooked it right, right there in a very, it wasn't like super professional or anything. It was just iPhone footage, but it was like, and, and the, the tag was like, you know, we're, we're cooking high protein meals every day for 30 days. It was on every video. And so she would get retention of these people who are like, oh, well, I want that. I want to have those. Oh, she's doing 30 of these. Like I want all 30. And they would kind of get in on that. And then I was like, oh, if you establish that same kind of cadence and you're like, hey, you can really learn this thing. And I'm going to do this thing every day. I was like, that's an interesting way to approach it. And so whenever you see those things or have those ideas, it's like, why, why not try it? Food is a funny one, you know, like I'm not a foodie by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not, you know, like I like to eat, but I'm not this massive foodie, <clears throat> excuse me. But there's something about someone, you know, preparing, preparing or yeah, cooking or the whole process, which is kind of just, I don't know. I, I like it's I'm enthralled, but like I just I'll spend those 30 seconds watching it and I'm like, Oh, that was that was a good pizza. Oh, that was nice pasta. <laughs> whatever, whatever the hell it is, yeah. it's just like I don't know why, but it's just so it's so entertaining. No, yeah, idea it's just why. little things that work with human nature. People overthink their content too. You know, like they'll they'll try to come up with some crazy concept, and it's like, well, a lot of people just like to see this like things presented neatly and nicely and completed. That's what like most people like to watch, right? And uh, and they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a narrative. And so I think if you look at content that way, and then realize that production value doesn't matter at all anymore, then I think you can go a long way. Yeah. Or at least it doesn't matter initially. Like if you're, if you have yeah. good content initially, later on, the production value can, can enhance, can improve. You can put more money into the editing and, and all that yeah. stuff. But if you have like, if you have a good seed, that seed will grow over time, but you just have to kind of risk, you know, like initially I tried, um, I have a little, very, very little kind of outdoorsy YouTube channel and I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything like with my phone. And then I started putting out white t-shirts. I was like, all right, let's, let's, let's test this. And those videos, probably three, four X, my regular YouTube videos. So now I'm like, all right, let me invest more time into this because the algorithm rewards me for doing so, even though it's not the best content, but it's good enough where it's, 
doing it's outperforming the other videos. Yeah. You know, so you kind of again, it's it's a you have to test, you have to see what works, and 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 you have to also risk the fact that you're gonna look like a dummy initially, and that's fine. You know, it's really not a big deal. Like I don't know, I think a lot of people are, oh, people are gonna say this about me. Like it do- doesn't matter. It's it's really doesn't matter. Like it's someone you've you'll probably never meet on the other side of the world somewhere. Who cares? Like put it out, try it. Worst case it doesn't work, you know, and you learn. Yep. Uh, and that's okay. I think that's what people need to embrace is like, it doesn't matter about, you know, feeling foolish on the internet or any of those kind of things. You just have to be putting things out and adapting and learning. And that's part of the process. How important do you think it is to kind of build your brain nowadays? Like even like, not if you're a solely creator, meaning if you're only doing a YouTube channel or if you're only doing uh, stuff on Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. If you have a company around something, right? It could be a blue collar job, right? Could do a plumber, uh, washing cars, landscaper, whatever it is. Or you have your own SaaS company. You're an entrepreneur. How important is is it, in your opinion, to go online and promote your brand, meaning yourself and your company? And so I think there's really there's kind of two scenarios the way I look at this, and and one is um, it's all really based on what what you want and what your sales cycle looks like, right? If you are a worker at one of those companies, if, if and you're a worker anywhere and you want to set yourself up or you're an entrepreneur and you want to set yourself up for your future, you want to say, I want to make every business that I do from now on or every job I try to get a bit easier, then I recommend going on social media. If you're like, hey, I love what I'm doing. I'm not planning to do anything different. I'm going to be able to exist with the relationships I have for the rest of my life. You probably don't need to be on social. But I think like for anyone that wants to advance in their career or make their new opportunities easier to launch, Having that personal brand presence, even if it's a thousand followers, is like a, a leg up to wherever you want to go next. People that will sign up for your list or might go with your service or make you an intro. And I think that that's something that, that's worth looking at. Um, but for businesses, what I typically ask, I get asked that a lot. And I actually tell a lot of businesses like, hey, you may, you may not need social media. It's like, do you have enough leads? Like if you if you have other sources of leads that you should be spending more time on, if like your advertising funnel is crushing it or you're, you have a ton of referrals or you could be doing any of those things better that you already have, then that's probably your number one place to spend time. If you're maxed out on your other lead sources or you don't have a really good idea of how you're going to gain more business, then social media is probably the easiest way with the lowest funds to build that up over time. And so I think it really depends on where people are at. But those are the scenarios I talk through the most often. Well, it's also, it's just, it's it's brand recognition, right? Like for me, you're the product guy. If someone asks me off the top of my head without even thinking about it, I'll say, Owen, like that's just, because I'm watching your content and you're the first person and that's just what I'm going to think. Now, there's another guy. Uh, I remember there was a... <laughs> I went under this uh, rabbit hole a while back. There was... Um, uh, I forget the, the the actual name for the doctor, but the guy that does like hair transplant. And um, he had all these videos. Dude, it's so... In- it's it's It doesn't seem like it's interesting, but it is. And like sure. he would do like uh, Elon Musk. And then he would go and he would like take pictures from Elon Musk back in the day. And then he would show how he would have the scar in the back of his head and how he did um, a hair transplant. And is it good? Is it just he did whole breakdowns of celebrities and hair transplants. And I watched like 10 of those videos. Now, if you ask me about a hair transplant guy, that's the only guy that comes to mind. That's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's true for you can do that with a plumber. You can do that with a uh, weed business. You can do that with pretty much anything. If you put enough content that's really good and you can be that face of an industry for a lot of people when they want that thing whatever it is more likely than not they're going to think of you yeah agreed and i think it's if you for a lot of people it's important to make yourself synonymous with that niche if you want if you want to grow and 
Uh, and just it's one of those things where you also don't have to rush. I feel like some people are like, oh, I need to become huge on social media. It's like, no, you don't. You just need to keep doing this regularly. And you'll look up in 24 months or 36 months, and you'll be way farther along than you thought. And you might be, might, you might have surprised yourself. But like, it doesn't have to be you set out to be the biggest person in the, in the niche, right? You just need to make your mark and build your audience in a way. And, and the benefits that come from that really compound. Is there such a thing as as the right or wrong channel for, for a brand? Like if the, a brand comes to you and, and you know they do, I don't know, whatever whatever it is that they're doing, right? And uh, you tell them, hey, like I think for your specific sector, it's best if we focused on funny content on Twitter or really demonstrable videos to show how your product works on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. Like can yeah. can the can the right uh, can they do the wrong thing putting out certain information on certain platforms? Um, or just yeah. miss, maybe a misallocation of their time and funds, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I think like a lot of it is uh, like funds is definitely an interesting one. Like if you're going to go say, hey, I want to invest in my personal brand and spend a bunch of money on it, like that ROI is going to take a long time to come out because social media takes a long time to compound. That's why I encourage people to do it themselves, you know, with, with an iPhone, like don't go too hard in it. Um, yeah, and it's just, you know, and it's one of those things where if it's not working too, like what I see people really waste time and money on is, oh, I need to do this thing the specific way. And they just keep, you know, they keep doing it whether it works or not. If you're not flexible enough to be adapting and trying new things, then you may waste a lot of time. Because it's yeah. often not the initial idea you had that's the one that ends up working. If it's not the initial idea you had, it's the one that... that can you explain on that a little bit? I was, I was going to say, yes. It's often not the initial idea you have that's the one that ends up working, right? It's some adaptation. It's some future version. It's something you tried along the way. That you're like, oh, this is actually what the thing is. It's rarely like you had the perfect concept right from the start. And that's what you've you've made it all the way with. Yeah. And that's true for a lot of, I mean, brands as well. Like I remember I had a company uh, beyond neutral and we eventually, we were talking to customers and we thought we had this amazing idea. And then after talking to a lot of customers and seeing what the market and seeing all the, the disadvantages of the specific product that we had, we ended up pivoting and doing something pretty different. Something different. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we're flexible enough and open-minded enough to say like, okay, like listen to the customers, look what's happening we can navigate and go into this different area, which is actually going to be much better for us. Yep. And, look, and that's, that, that flexibility, I think, is key. And I think there's you have to balance being an entrepreneur with a vision and sticking to your vision, even when people aren't necessarily behind it, but also listening to enough feedback and being flexible enough to adapt along the way. And you, know, you see a lot of people get caught up one way or the other. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's a lot of massive companies, right? Like YouTube was a dating site initially. Yep. Uh, Slack was, I think, like a video game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, yeah that's true. There's, there's a massive list of it, and it just, yeah, it just goes to show you. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, you you can't be too attached or, or married to to whatever concepts it is. Yeah. What? Um. Where have you personally seen the most ROI as far as content you're putting out, and not only like as far as growth, like, oh, here I have the most amount of followers, but just connections, um, you yeah, know, networking. Twitter, Twitter was the best. I was getting by far the most value off of Twitter just in terms of real connections, real clients for my business, real people buying the things I wanted, a network that was shockingly high end for what you'd imagine being on Twitter. But that's really fallen off in the like Elon Twitter era. Like things just don't move the same. Those people are on there, but it's like, it doesn't feel quite the same way. And that's why I focus so much on the other networks. TikTok has been great for growth, but isn't that same level of uh, I'm su still surprised how many people watch it and see it, but there's less of that like direct reach out. Um, but then now these last few weeks getting big on Instagram, it seems like almost like the perfect mix where it is very high profile people. There's a lot of people feel the ability to kind of directly message you and interact with you in a way that TikTok is a little bit farther out. And that's 
that's been solid too. But I think that's mainly mostly basically because I'm doing more like creative industry things, things around the concepts of design and fashion and, and things of that nature is CPG, where those people are really on Instagram. So I think they all have their pluses. I am uh I do wish for like the Twitter of like a year ago, where I felt was like really the perfect network to grow on with the right people. What do you think is has what are the main changes that has uh made Twitter what it is now? Because I kind of uh, feel it too, but I don't know if I can, uh, you know, I don't know if I could put it into words exactly what has happened, but it's, it's not what, as good. It's, it's the change of the algorithm, right? Uh, where I think they changed what what type of content performs and how, and how content gets gets pushed in, and, and how you see content, which is, they've, they've changed dozens and dozens of times. But I think the previous Twitter leadership, it was kind of more iterative, like things would mildly change. Um, whereas they've made some pretty drastic changes to what content gets propelled and not, and how much people see things. And I think it did. And the reason I think it uh, it impacts the experience is that you see less of these, um, you see less of the things that like you want to interact with and learn from. A lot of people use Twitter as a way to like bookmark value-based content for their business. And if that's not surfaced as much, and instead it's it's more kind of viral content, et cetera, people lose that same desire to come check back in and feel value out of it. They feel like they're just consuming. And I think it's uh, I think it's led to people using it less. And especially the right people, I think you want to get in front of using it less. Yeah. Well, for me, the the main thing that really bugs me is before, like, let's say it would, it would obviously the algorithm tries to cater to you and give you content that they think uh, you like. So before, let's say it would show me a person that I don't follow and it would say, Oren liked this or Oren follows this. Therefore, I think, you know, you should watch yeah, you it should now. Yeah. It just shows Whatever. you people that you don't follow. And I'm like, wait, who's this person? And, I, and then I go and I waste my time having to like click them to see if I even follow them. And that's kind of annoying. Like, why are you you're showing me people that I don't follow as if I do follow them? And then when I when I change the um from like follow for from for you to following in the feed, it's just like the same four accounts that just like mass yeah. tweet like a Bloomberg Markets or uh, I don't know whatever, right? So it's, it's like it's a lose, the algorithm is bad. Yeah, the the feed is just if the feed isn't useful, you know, and that's it's really too bad. Yeah, because I, I, you know, I, I'm still hopeful. I think they'll kind of course correct at some point. But right now, past at least a couple of weeks, it definitely feels like a shit show. Yeah. And so, and look, and that is what it is. And that's why I'm trying to experiment in other platforms. Look, TikTok might get banned at some point. So this could be on Instagram. And that's the thing what a lot of people have the problem with is keeping up with all this and doing all these things. Like it is, I'm not, it's not even as much time consuming as it is brain power consuming, right? Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm at the point where like, I'm thinking and talking and working through ideas all day. And it doesn't tire me out as much, but like I now have years of doing that. And for a lot of people, if you're just getting into that cycle of not doing the same repetitive thing all the time and having to think through concepts, like it's exhausting. No, it really is. It's like it's it it feels like uh, I don't know, <laughs> like a crazy ex. It's just like it's just like you need something consistent. You need something where you know I can put content out and it's going to be seen. But it like you said, the algorithms change. They want different things. They put certain content out. This week, we're going to do this. Next week, we're going to do that. And like for you, as just someone that wants to put content out and either promote yourself or promote your product or promote, it's it's challenging for sure, especially if you kind of start out. If you already have a set, you know, if you have a half a million followers on whatever platform, you're good. Like it'll you'll yeah. be all right. Even if, you know, not 50% will see you, 10% will see you, you're still doing fine. But if you're someone who's just kind of starting out, Fuck, it's hard. It's really, yeah, really hard. hundred percent. Well, I, but I do feel it's worth it. Like my core thought, is, I've been thinking about a lot is like, all right, you know, I've got, I'm getting up to a couple hundred thousand followers. Um, and then I've started to be like, all right, is, uh, 
if I have like a million people that I can reach across all these networks, everything I ever want to launch or be involved with for the rest of my life is just going to be intrinsically easier. And you start to think of like, all right, well, like that is a platform that that's worth building. That's a goal worth worth getting to, especially when you do so many, like I know I'll have 10 more businesses and I'll invest in all these different things or advising all these different things. I want to have that promotional channel for them. And even for no other reason than just to promote that, if I wouldn't make yeah. any other money off it or sell anything. And I think having that North Star of why you're doing it is important. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. That's you see the guys on 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 Twitter. I'll take, just take Twitter as an example. Who have two, three, four hundred thousand followers, and they put out something like, "Try this uh, copywriting course that I just put out." Boom! They sell a hundred thousand dollars over the weekend. Like that kind of power was unheard of, you know, uh, ten years ago. The fact that you can monetize your following in such a way where you can literally make six figures over a weekend is just mind boggling. And then people see that they're like, oh shit, I want to do that. But then like, how do I do that? And then they try to find shortcuts to do that. And then it's just like, but no, like you're looking at this person now, like you can't look at them now. You got to look at the 10, 15 years that they already invested, right? They built companies, maybe they, I don't know, they built their audience. They did stuff in order to reach where they are. Nothing happened overnight. And I think that's another thing that people maybe understand, like uh, misunderstand. They think it's, it's uh, easy and it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. You know, Agreed. like the concept is like, there's no barrier to entry. You can start your channel. You can start tweeting. You can do all that stuff, but no one's promising you that hundred K overnight or even over 10 years. So it's simple, but not easy. Yeah. And what I, what I think is funny too, and I had talked to a lot of people about who have, they're like, Hey, I'm putting on all the right content uh, or like I have the right, you know, I know this stuff is valuable or I've done these things that other people have done. And, but there's also just this factor of like, you have to be somewhat interesting and you have to be somewhat compelling. And it may not be the, in the average way. It's not like you have to be like a celebrity or super good looking or any of that, but you have to have something about you that makes people believe or that makes people excited or to be around. And, and I, what I've noticed with a lot of folks is I'm like, if you aren't inherently positive or you're like putting good vibes out there for lack of a better term, like that's a lot harder to grow on social media. And a lot of people don't even realize about themselves that they're they're inherently negative. And that's something that I really feel like has to get swapped as you go out and put yourself out in the world. Yeah. I mean, being a hot girl always helps on social media. I've, and then, you know. Yeah. If, if only. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I've yet to see a hot girl with zero followers. It just, it just doesn't happen. So if you're a hot girl, go on social media. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about the weed business. I'm, uh, sure. you know, I'm interested because you have obviously a lot of experience in it. What are uh, some of the changes? So maybe like, again, tell people like kind of what, what you were doing in, in that business. And then what are some of the changes that you've seen maybe recently that made it easier or more accessible or? Yeah. And so like, it's a super complicated business. So what we had done in this business is um, uh, I was the president of a company that executed the roll-up. So we basically combined a bunch of different existing smaller companies. We had a distribution and brand company in Oregon, which is the one that, that Colin was, was running. We had a big brand in California called Corova. We had a bunch of dispensaries from these different groups, and we brought them all together to make like a mega company. And the idea was, you know, you can, uh, you can get all these benefits by operating all these things together. And then you're at a certain size, you, you know, makes sense for us to then go on the public market. We can get funds from going on the public market, and then we can kind of make a play at being a, a national cannabis company. Uh, and so we spent kind of years at breakneck speed going through that. But the cannabis industry has a lot of challenges. And, and um, some of the biggest ones are you, you can't write off a number of things normal businesses can write off. Like on, on your, you basically have, uh, you know, yeah, there, there's no operational expenses that are you're getting written off, which is a crazy thought. Like the, the financials of all these cannabis businesses would be completely different if there's this, you know, this uh, regulation called, called 280E that, that would, would impact. 
So you're already kind of working at a loss because you can't write off all these normal business expenses. And then you have all this regulation that means you can't bank in certain places. And if you do bank, they're charging you these significant percents. Uh, and then you also have a lot of people who are in that industry who are have you know untraditional backgrounds and who are you know there's there's all kinds of problems with non-payment and all these you know all these little things that they come across. And then every market is different. You want you want to be have a cannabis company in Colorado versus California versus Arizona versus Oregon versus Massachusetts. They have all these different regulations. Your packaging needs to be different. So there's all these economies of scale you typically get by operating in multiple places don't actually exist. And so it was, it's a really challenging, a really challenging game that evolves constantly. Um, and so I'm still in that industry. I work with a uh, um, a company called Consensus in Arizona that owns a few brands out there. We have a brand called Sublime and a brand called Tropics. And uh, Arizona is a, a great market. It's a little bit smaller. They put the regulations together better than they put together uh, Oregon and California and a few of these others. And, and so I'm enjoying working in, in that market. But I think that it's one of those uh, industries where you can't just hop in that industry without much money and without much experience or connections. You're going to lose it all, right? You need to be super connected. You need to have a strong understanding of regulation. You need to have a war chest. And you need to have a concrete plan because it's hyper competitive. And uh, yeah, I don't know, that's, that's my cannabis rant, but it is a, it's a complicated niche. No, it's amazing, man. Like I, it's, it's, it's such a new business, right? And I think what happened probably initially is there's a lot of people that, oh, I love weed. I smoke weed. I would love to start a, a, a weed business of some kind. And then they realize that, oh, it's an actual business with actually much harder and much more difficult regulations than the average business. Shit, this is hard. <laughs> and then like, yeah, exactly. I'm assuming a lot of people just went out of business. And then you have a few behemoths now that maybe control. I know at least here in Colorado, there's a couple that I kind of see everywhere, but I don't know how it is in, in other states. Yeah, and it, it's it's a combination of that and people that are still holding on. Some people that have figured out a way to make their own successful business, but uh, it's complicated. You don't know what's coming for you the next 30 days or 60 days, or you know, it's still an agricultural-based product. And there's all kinds of things that come with that. And yeah, and then all the regulatory pieces. And look, like it was complicated for me. as an executive of a public company in, in cannabis. Like I couldn't, I couldn't bank personally normally. I couldn't get my mortgage normally. Like there's all these things that come with working in that industry that people don't expect as well. Yeah, the banking issue, right? Like you can't deposit the money that you make into the into a bank, right? Is that the thing? Yeah, well, you can. Uh, well, it's it's not federally insured, and there are banks that will take it, but they charge these fees on it. And it's uh, and so yeah, you can't use any normal kind of banking. But then that that goes out often extends that risk profile extends to the owners uh, oftentimes as well. Um, and I think also in the public market side of it, like when cannabis first was legalized, the first companies that got in the public market got huge valuations, they spiked all the way up and it burned a lot of investors because it was it was so inflated, mm. right? And so then everything kind of came back down to earth and then far below earth, but all the early adopter investors have a sour taste in their mouth from the cannabis industry. So it's hard for any businesses on the public market to then get the right attention or acumen to grow. And yeah, it's it's a it's interesting for an industry that's so new. You'd think would be kind of ripe with opportunity. It's really uh, it's it's super hard. It's one of the hardest things I feel like you could do now, even more so than like your normal CPG, DTC beverage, that kind of thing. What would you like to see regulation wise happen in the next five to ten years? Yeah, I mean, I think look, it is uh, it, it should be decriminalized like across the U.S. I think states should have the ability to set their own regulations around that, and there should be some sort of federal. Um, you know, provisions around what interstate transactions look like, and they should be able to be treated as normal businesses. Um, and I think as long as like it's already in so many, um, so many states, so many cities, so widely available that like really the first step is that decriminalization, and then that reform of what has happened to um, you know people that have been impacted by that, and like, hey, are we letting everyone who had a misdemeanor for weed out of jail? Like, yes, we should be doing all those kind of things, yeah. and um, or you know, and certain cases. But I think getting that framework for 
it's decriminalized. States have their ability to set their own laws. They can work in, there's some level of federal support for that. And here's how we're at least looking at what that means for people that have been impacted negatively by this. I think that that should be a no brainer for the next two years, but I doubt we'll get it. Really? You don't think so? I mean, I feel like we've made so much advancement in the last decade or so. Yeah, I just feel like it's one of those things where like, when you're in the industry, you follow like what happens with all these bills, etc. And it's like constantly thrown in or thrown out of whatever. And and I just don't think it's anyone's priority, right? There's not enough lobbying money behind it. There's not enough public interest. I think it would be whatever president decides to do it, will get some sort of, you know, ratings bump. But I don't think any of these like super old guys are that inclined to be the person that overturned weed, even if it's the thing that might actually be good for them. Yeah, I don't think Biden knows a lot about what's happening anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's, she's a tad old. Um, is Canada doing it better? Uh, well, yeah, Canada's in a hard place too. They, uh, I mean, it's an they. No, they're not doing it any better, honestly. Like they, <laughs> and, and for very different reasons, though. And they have all these, they have these huge companies that raise a ton of money that blew it all. That are terrible. And then they have all this regulation that makes it hard for smaller business. And and Canada's its own microcosm. And so I don't know if there are if there is any country that's like doing cannabis appropriately. But um, I think that's what happens when you have you know regulation so like so attached to um, to like these emerging industries. It's like you're giving operating frameworks that don't make sense for the people operating in them. And regulation takes so much time to update within our current systems that it's hard to have like a new age industry like coming of age inside a regulatory environment that's that specific. But you do need regulations, right? So you can't just yeah, you need something. Really, yeah. but, but, but you need a ability to... Uh, update and change and work through those people that actually understand the industry in an impactful, fast moving way. And, you know, I think, and that's something that like our current, you know, at least like the current US government structure is not really built for. Yeah, well, there's such a gridlock on everything. Everything's become so politicized. So if one side is saying, oh, we're pro this, the other is immediately against it. And then if this side is against that, oh, we have to be pro, even though it makes non like no sense or it's like, oh, that's not the, the the stance we always had on this, but the other guys are they're, they're saying no, so we have to say yes. It's just everything's yeah. so politicized right now. <laughs> it's a lot. We uh, I saw Thailand recently because I have a, I have a I have a few friends that train out there, and they told me because I remember when I was there. So quick story: when I was there, I used to I saw I used to be a, a kind of amateur Muay Thai fighter, and uh, I trained out in Thailand. And um, after a few months of training, I was like, I took like me and a friend were like, Dude, let's go to the islands, you know, some R&R, just chill, relax, have some fun. And uh, we go down there. And this was like full moon party um, in one of the islands. And uh, there was a, this, this girl we met and uh, this Thai guy, this local guy, out of nowhere, he hands her a joint to smoke. And she's, she takes a puff. She gives it to my friend. He takes a puff. He doesn't put his hand down. He's got handcuffs on his hand. Police are taking him to the to the jail to the jail cell. And uh I go there, I'm like, oh shit, like this guy's you know, and I just watched all these like uh banged up abroad shows right before I left. So I kind of know like what's what's about to happen. And uh long story short, I had to pay the police officer a certain amount of money. He let my friend go, everything was okay. But now, you know, 10, 15 yeah. years removed, everything's well, story. legal. Yeah, everything's legal there. Like a place where they you like if you had a large amount, I think they used to like literally kill you. They used to hang people for for drugs. And the fact that it's legal now, it just tells you like the advancement that has happened worldwide on weed in the last 15 years is unbelievable. Yeah, I have a lot of high hopes for the rest of the world to do it better than what we've seen in kind of America and Canada. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that's also going to be a super boon for tourism in some of these areas in a, in a smart way. Yeah, like yeah, Amsterdam's always been. Is Amsterdam the, the, the model? Um, 
You know, I think that was, uh, I think so. I think it's a better model than anywhere else where it is very like small business controlled, accessible for tourism, you know, uh, like easy to consume and buy. But, um, you know, I've, I, it's been like five or six years since I really looked at that. But I remember being there and being like, I think this is a good model. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember. I, but the other thing there is just like, and I think they got fed up with it after a while where it was bringing the, the air quotes wrong kind of tourist. Right. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who just wanted to get high. They want to do drugs. And then you would have the guys on the corner selling you, you know, co cocaine, ecstasy, cocaine, ecstasy. And then it kind of it, it doesn't bring the best type of tourism to your place. Okay, I agree, especially in the social media era. But I think I, I was visiting like right before I think that kind of whole thing came about. But I could totally see how, how that'd be the case. And look, there's a lot to manage. And there's a lot of complicated personalities from all around the world. You know, it's a yeah, the tourism, like anything, the tourism aspect isn't easy. And you add drugs on top of it. It's even more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, before I let you go, if someone is listening to this podcast now and they may have a few ideas kind of swirling in their head, but they're not really sure, you know, first steps, what to do, what would you tell them to to do in order to pursue their potential entrepreneurial endeavor? Yeah, so I uh, I think about this a lot. So this is a, it's a good question. Um, so a couple of things I like to think of is if someone, if you know you have a niche, like you say, hey, I want to make something in car accessories, or I want to be in cosmetics or whatever. But I don't know what I want to do. Uh, what I usually suggest for those people is to start on social media and, and curate their industry. Be like, start a social media account, be anonymous. It can be you behind it, whether you're making videos or tweets or a blog, whatever it is, or all of those. And just track the news of what's happening in your space. This product's launching. You know, These people rebranded. This is what's happening at retail. Here's what influencers are promoting, what products. Literally just get deep into it and then put out content where you're tracking that and then presenting your own ideas. Hey, this influencer is promoting this cosmetics brand. Here's why I think it's good or bad. Um, and I think that if you do that for six months or a year, just as a hobby, you'll know so much about the niche that you're in that you're going to see things start to come out. You're going to be like, wait, why is no one doing that? And then you're like, oh, shoot, that's where I should start my business. And so I think that that's a like a no brainer way to like, if you know what you want to do, but don't know exactly like to dive in like that. And then for people that do have an idea and they want to validate it, like this is the easiest era ever to validate like a product concept, right? Like, Get a single sample or get, get a mock-up together, make you know 30 videos and put them out on social media, especially like on TikTok, like trying different approaches to talking about your product. And if you get people to sign up for an email for a pre-order, or if you get any level of attention, then you probably know you have something you can build and is worth investing in. But if you do that and you make 30 different videos, you put them out on social media, you DM some people, whatever it is, and no one cares or no one puts their email in your sign-up form or whatever it is, and you're like, oh, I might need to go rethink my my approach to this. And I like that exercise because like if you're not going to go ahead and make figure out how to get a sample and make 30 of a thing and put it out there in the internet, you probably don't have what it takes to go start an actual business. And so I think it's a good litmus test for yourself as well. Yeah. And I had a I had a guy on uh Tebow that uh, you probably know him from from uh from Twitter who built uh Tweet Hunter. And he kind of did the same. He was like, I'm gonna build all these companies and the ones that gets traction, I'm gonna stick with. And he built 10 and they all went to the trash because they didn't get the traction they were looking for. And then the 11th one was Tweet Hunter, which they just sold for, I think, like 10 million or something in, in like 18 months. So the yeah. one that saw the most traction was the, the one they stayed with. Indeed. That's yeah. how it works sometimes. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, man. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. Guys, go check them out on all the different social media accounts. As always, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Is there anything kind of you want to plug? Uh, yeah, look, no, I'm Orm Meets World on all uh, on all, all social media. Um, and then my, uh, my newsletter is called Product People. It's on productworld.xyz. 
And then, um, yeah, yeah. For all info on the community and things like that is all comes in the newsletter is on my social. It's easy to find, but yeah, I appreciate you having me. And yeah, if anyone has any questions or anything, my DMS are always open. I try to help and yeah. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, dude. Appreciate the time. And again, as always, I'll put it in the show notes, make it easy for everyone to find. Oren, this was awesome, man. Appreciate the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother.